Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living from the Heart. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome and namaste. My name is Zach Beach, and the way Living from the Heart goes is I begin each session with a poem that I have written myself, followed by a 30-minute Dharma talk. And each session will finish with a 15-minute meditation to cultivate and contemplate the subjects discussed in the talk. And today's poem is called Choose Love. And this is from my collection, Drinking Roses on Sunday. When your son crashes the family car, the one you spent half your salary on, but gosh darn it, he made it out alive, choose love. When forgiveness comes knocking on your front door, but the doorknob is too hot to handle and you've been burned enough, see that you deserve more than a few thousand diamond rings and choose love. When the heat of anger boils over, and you get so mad you could just find rest in the soft clouds of your own heart and choose love. When grief turns into a crashing tidal wave threatening to take you down with it, hold those that are close to you even closer and choose love. When failure is too close for comfort and no one questions your abilities more than you do, tune into the vibrations of the universe coursing through those veins, and choose love. When for some crazy reason, or any reason at all, you can't stand yourself, and you want to bang your head a few times on a brick wall until your brains fall out, try coloring that gray matter with a little pink and blue, and choose love. When that boy doesn't call you back again, and your heart feels like it's been splattered across a car windshield, let the tightness in your chest explode into a million violet petals and choose love. Sometimes when something is broken, you have to break it even further to put the pieces back together. And sometimes the gods envy you because you can hold your breath and create joys that fly over mountains like a good piano song, or a sparkle in someone's eye. And the theme of this talk is on the importance of making love a conscious choice that we make in our life. I want to talk about what it means to truly choose love, and I want to talk about what so often gets in the way. Because choosing love might seem like a simple thing, So simple, maybe you don't even have to do it, but it's one of the most important things that we can discover as human beings. There's a story of a couple and one of them turns to the other one and says, honey, I love you. And the other one says, don't you threaten me. And I love this story because it captures how love asks a lot of us. Love asks for our entire being. Love asks for our vulnerability. And if when love knocks on our door, we have the choice to open up the door or not. And many people choose not to because of the fear that love entails. So someone telling you that they love you almost seems like a threat because, of course, that love will ask so much of us. And this is why it's important to choose love. 
Because everything that we value in life is a practice. Everything that we want in our lives is something that we choose to do and choose to get better at. If you are looking for more happiness in your life, happiness is a practice. If you are looking for more joy, love, compassion, understanding, forgiveness, all of these things are practices. And so too, love is a practice. The researcher Brene Brown wrote that love is beautiful when it is professed, but it is only meaningful when it is practiced. So obviously saying I love you is quite easy, but your response involves so much. It becomes meaningful when we actually practice and do actions to bring love into our lives. The Dalai Lama put it this way. He says, no matter what is going on, never give up. Develop the heart. Too much energy in your country is spent developing the mind instead of the heart. So be compassionate, not just to your friends, but to everyone. Be compassionate. Work for peace in your heart and in the world. Work for peace. And I say again, never give up. No matter what is going on around you, never give up. The Dalai Lama's teaching captures what's so important about our practice is it involves two fundamental attitudes. One of never giving up what you might call tapas or discipline or gumption, and two, completely letting go, what you might call vairagya or non-attachment or surrender. So every day we can wake up and choose love. And if during that day things happen and we forget about our intention, that's okay because the next day offers another opportunity to also choose love. And we're choosing love as a practice, as a recognition that it is important to view love as a skill. And if you want to get better at anything in life, like playing the violin, like playing the piano, it involves practice. And the reason most people do not practice love is because it runs so contrary to people's general experience. Many people have what psychologists call destiny beliefs. And destiny beliefs are rooted in that fairy tale story that we have all been exposed to some point in our lives because it's written about in our stories, in our movies, and in our songs. And destiny beliefs hold that your primary task in life is to find the right person. And when you do find the right person, you will fall madly in love with each other. Love will erupt like a volcano between the two of you and you will live happily ever after. And there's no work you need to do with this person. There's no growth you need to do with this person. And that initial spark of falling in love with somebody will, of course, last forever. And destiny beliefs, sometimes called twin flame or soulmate beliefs, they can be useful in a lot of ways. They can be inspiring in a lot of ways. But there's a few fundamental problems if this is your primary belief systems around love. One of the problems with destiny beliefs is that it makes love out of your control. You think that your primary task is to find somebody. And once you do find this person, then your love will just happen. 
And if your love doesn't happen with this person, then clearly you didn't choose the right person and you can choose somebody else. And then if you do fall in love with somebody and then you find that the love ebbs and it finally decreases over time, you might come to the conclusion that you found the wrong person and you break up with that person and you need to find somebody new. So when you look at couples with destiny beliefs, and when psychologists look at couples with destiny beliefs, they find that they tend to give up more easily when the going gets tough. When problems arise, as they inevitably will in any relationship, if you have destiny beliefs and you encounter problems, you're like, well, clearly I have found the wrong person because there are problems and my relationship is supposed to be perfect and easy all day for the rest of my life. Now, this is obviously an extreme case. What's important to recognize is that if we want to bring love into our lives, we have to view it as a skill. We have to put ourselves in the driver's seat, that we are in control of how much love we experience in our life and in our relationships. And another final problem with destiny beliefs is that it is extremely dyadic. And I coach a lot of couples and I work with a lot of individuals. And when I tell them, hey, I work in the field of love, is that single people tend to say things along the lines of, well, I'm not in a relationship. I have no love in my life. And when you think that in order to be in a relationship, you need to feel love, it ignores all the day-to-day relationships that sustain us on a, on a daily basis. And it also ignores the love that we have for ourselves. And it also ignores that there is a love inside of us that we can cultivate. And we cultivate it by choosing love, by setting the intention each day and each moment to choose love. Choosing love, however, is not easy. Making love a choice is quite easier said than done. And as I tried to get across my poem, so easily and so often our own emotional reactions get in the way of us choosing and responding from a place of love. The reason that is, is because our mind so easily gets hijacked by what is known as the limbic system. And for those that don't know, the limbic system is a more primal part of our brain, what is sometimes called the reptilian part of our brain. And it is the source of our stress response, our flight, fright, freeze response. And it's a primal part of our brain that reflects how way back in the day, when we were living in the wild and running from predators, having a flight, fright, freeze response very much served us. If you heard a rustle in the grass, it would help to have the body get activated in order to fly away or freeze or fight this threat. Now, this is what hundreds of thousands of years of evolution has wired us to do. Unfortunately, nowadays, in our day-to-day, it doesn't serve us nearly as much. Now, most of the time, for most of our lives, we are not encountering dangerous threats. Now, there are, of course, real situations in our life where we might be in danger, in which case flight, heart freeze might be the response that we need. But now, by and large, we don't have predators that are going to leap out of the trees and take us for dinner. 
Now our flight fight freeze response happens when we get caught off in traffic, for example. And you can feel that response bubble up inside of you when this happens because your physical safety was threatened and the same stress response system that existed in order to keep you safe in the wild is now elevating your blood pressure, elevating your stress levels, having your fingers grip the wheel. And the problem is that it stays for a long time. Maybe you get cut off in the morning on the way to work and the rest of your day is ruined. The rest of your day, you're in a bad mood. So it can happen when our physical safety gets threatened, but in our modern day society, this is more and more rare. Another way that our flight, fright, freeze response gets activated is when our partner says, you're wrong. Or your partner says, you know what? You can be kind of a jerk sometimes. And the reason our flight, fright, freeze response, our stress response gets activated is because no longer is our physical safety threatened, but our egoic safety is threatened. If we feel personally attacked, if our ego, who we think we are, gets attacked, that same stress response system gets activated. And relationships intimate relationships are incredible in the different ways that they do indeed trigger us and that our partner can say something relatively innocuous and suddenly our ego feels threatened and our stress response gets activated and their limbic system takes over. There's a story of a man in a doctor's office and doctor says, I'm sorry, I have some bad news, but you have cancer. And the man balks at hearing this and he says, I want a second opinion. And the doctor says, okay, you're ugly too. And I love this joke because it reflects how we protect our egoic identities. We try to create a solid and separate sense of self. And we try to build up this sense of self. And when that sense of self gets attacked, we get defensive. We become what Chogyam Trumpa calls a bundle of tense muscles defending our existence. And when we do feel attacked and when the ego does feel threatened, again, our limbic system gets activated. And this happens so much in our intimate relationships, also because of our evolutionary history. When we're infants, we needed somebody to be there to love and take care of us. We needed somebody to provide us with food, shelter, and belonging. So to an infant, am I loved and will I survive, are essentially the same question. And evolution is notoriously conservative. So the same primal functioning that existed in our early relationships show up later in our adult romantic relationships. In other words, our adult romantic relationships will bring up our own childhood wounding. Fortunately, there's a reason for this. And there's a reason our childhood wounding comes up so that it can be healed. So as an adult, the same triggers about our survival can come up in a relationship. So our partner saying, I'm leaving you, 
triggers the same flight fight freeze response. And we associate being in relationship with our own survival. And we get what we might think of as a fear of abandonment. And this is so important to know in our intimate relationships because one of the most important functions of our relationships is to establish a sense of safety and security. And in order to do that, we have to control our limbic system because the limbic system will hijack the higher cortical functionings of the mind. You might know the psychologist Daniel Siegel, and in his book, Mindsight, he points to nine of the major functions of the prefrontal cortex. Prefrontal meaning right behind the front of your forehead. And this prefrontal cortex includes so much important functioning for our stress and for our loving relationships. So nine functions include bodily regulation, attuned communication, emotional balance, response flexibility, fear modulation, empathy, insight, moral awareness, and intuition. And one of the models that Dan Siegel will give in his workshop is he'll bring out his hand, well, show his hand. And if you are looking at your own hand, you can put your thumb in your palm and then you can cover your thumb with your fingers. And the base of the thumb is your limbic system, the reptilian part of your brain. And your fingers are your higher cortical functionings, those places of communication, emotional balance, empathy, intuition, and insight. And what happens with limbic system hijacking is we flip our lid. And that stress response system shuts down our ability for our prefrontal cortex to function. And you might have experienced this yourself. You might have found that, found that when you are in an argument with your partner and you feel like they're not listening, they're actually unable to listen. And so to you, when your stress response system is activated, you are unable to listen as well. You're unable to provide attuned communication, empathy, balance your own emotions, during the time that your stress response system is activated. So an extremely important thing we need to do is to be able to control our stress response system, what we might call top-down regulation, using those higher cortical functionings to lower our stress response so that we can learn how to respond and not to react. Because if we are to choose love, we have to make sure we're responding with love and not reacting with fear, anger, judgment, and ill will. And this is why it's so important and so challenging to choose love because of how easily our limbic system hijacks our ability to choose love. Many of you are probably familiar with the quote by Viktor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he says that in between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. And in that space, therein lies our freedom. And that is what we need to find. We need to find that space between the stimulus and the response. Because we can't respond with love, we can't choose love if our stress response system is activated all the time. We have to be able to find what is known as the sacred pause. 
our ability to remain calm in the heat of the moment, to notice emotions as they are coming up, and to choose love, to remember love. So last week I talked about remembering the most important thing, that the most important thing is to remember the most important thing. And that is our challenge in living from the heart, in living a life of love, is simply remembering love in the heat of the moment. Is simply remembering that love is the reason we are put on this earth. Because when we do remember, our entire experience is transformed. The poet Rumi put it this way, if we love, Our hearts and souls receive wings. It blooms a summery happiness in us. We are walking like on a soft carpet of moss, and it seems like all the doors are open. From our smile, we build bridges, and our heart is sleeping under the open sky. We are entirely without fear. It rains dreams, and on the trees are growing more and more miracles such a beautiful poem about what happens when we choose and open up to love it rains dreams on the trees grow more and more miracles we experience a connection with all beings everywhere not only other people but the trees the sky and the world that we live in but the first line of that poem is if we love Only then will our hearts and souls receive wings, is if we love. And a lot of people do not remember love. A lot of people are also unable to choose love because they are in a place of endless reactivity. And they don't realize that in every moment we are given a choice of whether or not to love. So we have to be able to take what we call the backwards step. We have to enable our top-down integration, allowing our higher cortical functioning of empathy, awareness, and insight, allow that to regulate the limbic system hijacking so that we can choose love when we enter challenging situations in our life. So for today's meditation, I want to guide you through what are known as the four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of mental states, and mindfulness of phenomenon themselves. And then have us return to love at the end. Because that's the trick of living from the heart, is we have to be able to notice anger arising and come back to love. We have to notice fear arising and come back to love. And this is where mindfulness can be so helpful because that non-reactive, non-judgmental awareness of what is happening in the present moment gives us that space. It allows us to take the sacred pause to step back and to respond to any situation that we are in from a place of love. And it's really challenging. I'm not saying it's easy walking this path of love. It is worth it, but it's not easy. 
And what can really help along the way is shifting from identifying with the passing emotions and mental states in the mind to simply noticing them. So rather than say, I am angry, in which case you're identifying with this emotion, we slowly shift back in the sacred pause. We shift away from saying, I am angry, which involves identification, to I am feeling angry, where we are able to feel it and able to kind of hold space for the anger, to our next step of simply noticing anger arising. So I'm noticing anger arising in my body, to, okay, there's anger, but there's love here too. And I can even have love for myself and compassion for myself for feeling this anger or fear or whatever challenging emotion that it is that you are experiencing. We can even encompass that in our love. So let's try that together. Mindfulness with love. So to start, elevate the spine, relax the shoulders, and take a few deep breaths. Inhale through the nose, and make a slow exhale through the mouth. Two more times, inhale nose, And then simply inhale and exhale out through your nostrils. And let us first simply try to relax. We can use the breath as an odometer for how the body is doing. So as you take deep breaths, see if you can smooth out your inhale and exhale. See if you can deepen your inhale and exhale. And see if you could allow that slowing of the breath to naturally Calm the body, heart, and mind. And let's find our first foundation of mindfulness, being mindful of our bodies. So take a few moments to simply feel, feel into your body. Feel into your feet on the earth or perhaps your tailbone on the earth. You can feel any air across your skin or clothes on your body. You can feel your breath even any positive or negative sensations, we can simply notice them. So maybe there is slight pain somewhere, itching or heaviness. As you take a stock of what your body is feeling right now without pushing away or pulling in, just notice. 
what is happening? What is real and true for you right now? Shifting your attention to our second foundation of mindfulness, our emotions. We call them emotions because they are energy in motion. We call them feelings because we feel them. So as you tune into your emotional experience, what can you identify? What can you notice without judgment? So we don't judge good things or bad things. So notice if there is excitement, joy, happiness, pleasure. And also notice if there is pain, boredom, or discomfort. And as you try to identify what your emotions are, also notice where they are. Where in your body are you feeling what you are feeling? Is, does it manifest as a sinking feeling in your stomach? Or perhaps hotness around your head, tightness around your heart or shoulders, lightness, heaviness, spaciousness, closeness, Continue to notice, be present and aware.
Next, shifting our attention from our emotions to our thoughts, to our mental activities. The mind is often described as a bucket of water with light shining on it. Sometimes the bucket of water is agitated, lots of turbulence. Sometimes the bucket of water is muddy with dullness. Sometimes it is clear. Notice where your mind is at. Is the mind racing, thought after thought, or is it dull, dull and tired? Is it clear and spacious? And also notice what thoughts are coming up for you. Oftentimes the mind takes us into the future and what might happen, or takes us into the past of what has happened, or even takes us into an imagined future of what could have happened, or what we wish would happen, or situations that will never happen. Where's your mind at? What is it thinking about? Again, no judgment here. We're just noticing without pushing away or latching on to. Moving forward from mental faculties to our phenomenon themselves. So in this case, as you probed into your sensations, your emotions, your thoughts, is there anything stable and lasting? Is there anything underneath of that? As you unite your understanding of yourself, unite it with the world. So as you think about this world that we live in, is there anything that is stable and unchanging? Think about what has flown in and out of you. Your body is 90% water and exchanges water with the rivers and oceans and clouds of the world. You're breathing oxygen, exchanging carbon dioxide and oxygen with the trees, plants, and algae in the ocean. Food enters your body and leaves. Notice the changing, flowing nature of everything. See if there's anything underneath of that, anything that lasts, anything that remains constant. 
And finally, once we've taken our backward step, noticing what arises and falls, come back to love. Come back to the heart space and come back to a softening of your attention and a tenderness and care for yourself and all beings. Feeling a warmth and a light emanating from your chest. Tune in to the love that is inside of you. Planting the seed of love in your heart and watching it grow with your breath, with your attention, with your presence. And we'll close this session with the discourse on goodwill from the Sutta Napata. May all beings be filled with joy and peace. May all beings everywhere, the strong and the weak, the great and the small, the mean and the powerful, the short and the long, the subtle and the gross. May all beings everywhere, seen and unseen, dwelling far off or nearby, being or waiting to become, may all be filled with lasting joy. Let no one deceive another. Let no one anywhere despise another. Let no one out of anger or resentment wish suffering on anyone at all. Just as a mother with her own life protects her child, her only child from harm, so within yourself let grow a boundless love for all creatures. Let your love flow outward through the universe to its height, its depth, its broad extent, a limitless love without hatred or enmity. Then, as you stand or walk, sit or lie down, as long as you are awake, strive for this one-pointed mind, and your life will bring heaven to earth. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us today. The light and love in me honors the light and love in you. Namaste.